My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, it is truly my honor to be joined by Greg F. Martin, Ph.D., Major General, U.S. Army. I'm going to read his bio um, before we get started, and it's it's decently lengthy, and I feel like it's even a short version of what all he has done and accomplished. So Major General Martin served on active duty for 36 years until May of 2015. He is a combat veteran, bipolar survivor, airborne ranger engineer qualified soldier, and army strategist. He holds a PhD and two master's degrees from MIT, master's degrees in national security strategy from both the Army and Naval War Colleges, and a bachelor's degree from West Point. He commanded an engineer company, Battalion, the 130th Engineer Brigade, in combat during the first year of the Iraq War in 2003 to 2004, including the attack from Kuwait, up the Euphrates River Valley to Baghdad and beyond. He served multiple overseas tours and, as general officer, commanded the Corps of Engineers Northwest Division, was commandment of the Army Engineer School, commanded Fort Leonard Wood, was Deputy Commanding General of the 3rd Army U.S. Army Central, Commandment of the Army War College, President of National Defense University, and Special Assistant to the Chief of Engineers. He was awarded the Distinguished Service Medal twice, the Bronze Star Medal, and the Combat Action Badge. He is married with three sons, and two of his sons are Army combat veterans, and one is an artist. His daughter-in-law is also an Army combat veteran. His wife is an Army brat and a heroine for persevering through their Army career and surviving and overcoming their, their bipolar ordeal, which has been the toughest fight of their lives. They live in Cocoa Beach, Florida, where he is writing, speaking, and sharing his story of battling bipolar disorder to help save lives and stop the stigma. Who? Wow. Major General Martin, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. Well, Susie, it's my pleasure. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great honor. Well, it's an, the honor is truly all mine. And I, I know that our listeners are going to really enjoy this episode. I know that our listeners will learn a lot about your story through this episode, and hopefully I will help direct them to your your book that has come out recently where they can really read more in depth about your story. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this interview is because I want to shed light on what's going on in the military in terms of mental health. So we'll talk about that too, in addition to details about your story. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about what led up to your retirement in 2015? So what led to my retirement in 2015 was that I went into a state of full-blown mania. 
essentially a state of madness, insanity, where I was over the top, out of control, unreliable. And so my boss, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the highest military officer in the country, he did an assessment and said, you know, and so he made the decision that for both, you know, my good and the good of National Defense University, which is I was the, the president of, that I needed to go. And um, this was the really the culmination of about more than 10 years of bipolar disorder, which the onset for my bipolar disorder was in 2003 during the Iraq war, where essentially the pressure, the trauma, the stress, the thrill, euphoria of combat in Iraq, it essentially triggered my genetic predisposition for bipolar disorder. Um, And previous to that onset in 2003 in Iraq, unknown to me, I had been my whole life since high, high school living on the bipolar spectrum. And I had a condition called hyperthymia. And I only learned about this a couple of years ago. But what hyperthymia does is it gives you a near continuous state of mild mania, which gave me extra energy, drive, enthusiasm, creativity, problem solving skills. But the problem with hyperthymia is it creeps up little by little. It starts as a little flame. And then year after year, it's like more wood is thrown on the fire until I went into a, you know, a real onset of bipolar disorder in Iraq. And then for the next 12 years after Iraq, unknown, undetected, undiagnosed, I had bipolar disorder. And I started going into higher highs and lower lows until by 2014, which is the year I got fired, um, I, I went into full-blown mania. Like I said, state of madness, and we can talk about what that was like. But um, the chairman said, look, I need to get Greg out of there. So after you know some careful investigations and assessments, and so I got a, a call, report to the chairman on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. And in my manic state, I thought, he's probably going to promote me or mm. tell me he wants me in the job longer. Um, I went into his office and the first person I saw was the lawyer. And I said, whoa, no promotion today. Because uh, <laughs> that's only bad news when the lawyer's there. Right. And so he said, he said, he came across the office and he gave me a big hug and he said, Greg, I love you like a brother. You've done an amazing job. No one could have done what you did in two years. I give you a grade of A plus, but your time at National Defense University is over. You have until 5 p.m. today to resign or I will fire you. And I'm also giving you an order uh, to get a mental health evaluation at Walter Reed Military Hospital. And so you would think I was probably disappointed, you know, upset. Not at all. I said, thank you, General Dempsey. I appreciate this because God put me at NDU to do great things. And now he's going to move me to another place to do even bigger things. Mm. And paradoxically, that was nine years ago. I think I was correct because what I'm doing now with my bipolar and mental health advocacy is more important than anything I did in the army. Mm. Um, But from there, I then I, I had three evaluations. All three said fit for duty, nothing wrong. And then, but they were completely wrong. They just missed the diagnosis. And then I, then I spiraled into terrible depression and psychosis 
Because with bipolar disorder, what goes up must come down. And I went way up. And so I came way down. And when I was in that depressed state, I realized there was something wrong with me. And I went back to the doctors and said, hey, I need help. There's something really wrong. And at that point, they diagnosed me with bipolar disorder type 1 and psychosis. But I went from bad to worse over the next two years um, because they didn't get the medications right. I was in terrible shape. And so for the next two years, I was in what I call bipolar hell, you know, hopeless, Mm. crippling depression, terrifying psychosis. And that went on for two years Mm. uh, in where I was hospitalized and everything. But then finally, uh, the VA got the medication right. And that was seven years ago. And I've been in a journey of recovery for the last seven years. That's wonderful. Let's go back to what you said about having seen two or three physicians the week prior, because I read about that, that you saw two physicians, a psychiatrist and your general practitioner, the week before you were asked to resign. And both of them gave you a clean bill of health. Tell me more about that. Yes, absolutely. So um, I knew there were all kinds of rumblings about my behaviors and that people thought, you know, I was, you know, mentally ill and that I was, you know, behaving in a out of control, over the top, you know, crazy manner. And so I talked to um, our medical officer at the university and said, look, there's nothing wrong with me. I feel great. Um, you know, I thought I was the smartest person in the world, held the key to world peace, was connected directly with God. And I said, what, you know, what can I do to counteract this? And he said, go get a, go get a mental health exam and you'll come out of it with a clean bill of health, which he was wrong. Well, he was right that I did, but he was wrong that he didn't think I had a mental illness, which I did. Mm-hmm. A serious mental illness. So I went in about a week before I got fired and they gave me a complete, you know, workup mentally, physically and everything. And they said, oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. So I sent that finding to my boss in the Pentagon and basically nothing happened. But then a week later, I got ordered to go in and get what was the second evaluation And then ultimately a third evaluation, because when I went after being fired, they said, fit for duty, nothing wrong. The Pentagon, the guys there said, "Um, do it again, do do another evaluation. So I went in for what was essentially my third evaluation, and all three were fit for duty, nothing wrong. But they were were just wrong. Um, the, The other thing is before that, after I came back from Iraq, over the next few years, you know, I was mostly manic, which you're up, you're happy, you're full of energy, mm-hmm. but I did sink into depression a few, you know, several times. In three of those times, I went to the doctors um, and said, you know, once when I was, you know, still in brigade command in Germany, and then um, uh, once when I was in Heidelberg, Germany, and then the third time when I was at the Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, I went to the doctors and said, hey, I'm depressed. There's something wrong with me. I'm always up. I always have tons of energy and super motivated. And But now I, I, I'm withdrawn. I'm confused. I'm indecisive. I'm introverted. There's something wrong. And all three times when I was in depression, they said, oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. Wow. And the one common element in those six 
misdiagnoses six times, mm. three with depression, three times with mania, was they didn't do a good job of investigating. They didn't get good collateral information from my family, my work colleagues, um, my friends and neighbors. They just didn't because in those cases, they could have seen that there was something wrong. And um, and I think that was the big mistake they made. Mm -hmm. Going back to 2003, when you said that was your onset, um, were there people who at that time that you were working with or that you were commanding who who noticed and said things to you like, hey, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying that you felt the depression yourself, but were other people noticing things in your work performance or was your wife noticing changes at home or anything like that? So in, in Iraq, um, essentially I was in mania probably 95% of the time. And I was like a super soldier all over the battlefield, felt like Superman, fearless. Just my mind was solving problems rapidly under fire, very complex situations. Um, you know, like I said, life and death situations for the troops. And so people saw me as a superstar, really high performer. And so nobody said, hey, this is odd. You're too energetic. You're not getting much sleep. You're, you're, you're over the top. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody said anything like that. Um, in, in fact, I was really seen as a star performer. Um, then when I would have dips into mania, they never lasted too long in Iraq. They were usually just, you know, less than a day. And, and nobody said anything because I would bounce right back out of it. But when I wrote the book, I went back and interviewed as many people as I could get a hold of from, you know, my entire career, from second lieutenant all the way through to National Defense University and asked them, you know, I've been, I told them, I said, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Here are the symptoms of bipolar disorder. Did you see any of this while we were serving together? Um, you know, and fill me in on this. So all of my career up until about in my early 40s, everybody said, you know, super leader, really inspirational, motivational, did a great job, you know, nothing bad. But when I was a battalion commander, lieutenant colonel, about 20 years of service, people then said, you know, you were a great commander, great leader. It was fun, exciting. We did big things. But you were starting to get a, a little too crazy, a little too wild with the, quote, hua spirit in the army. Um, you know, you started doing things that, you know, really made us wonder, like I would, you know, uh, at formations and award ceremonies, I would jump around like an ape and, you know, give, you know, Hoo -ah, Hoo -ah. I'd, I'd have an, a, a, a hatchet in my hand. Um, I went overboard in singing motivational songs with the troops. Um, one time I came out and ripped my shirt off and I had a big five for the 5th Engineer Battalion. Uh, shaved in my chest and then filled in with, you know, red coloring, which is the color of the engineers. And so people said, you know, it was, it was fun. It was exciting, but it was kind of weird. And so that's just before I started going into real mania and real bipolar disorder. Hmm. Um, and then as, you know, once I actually came down with bipolar disorder from Iraq on, people started saying, yes, 
we we were noticing things that were not normal. They were not healthy, but they never said anything to me while I was in the position, only much later, which I understand. It's really asking a lot for people to go up to their boss, who's a general and say, Hey, I I think you maybe have mental illness. Yeah. And by the way, I wouldn't have believed them anyway. Yeah, that was my next question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what would you have done? What would, how would you have, you know, punished uh, someone who came up to you as their superior, you know, general, would you have said, I feel great. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're, you're in trouble, whatever that looks like for, for that moment. Um, I wouldn't have um, uh, punished anybody um, because I knew if they did come up and say something like there was one time uh, back in about 2005 uh, 2006, I was the commander of Northwest Division Corps of Engineers. And my my uh, top civilian deputy said, hey, uh, General, I need to talk to you. Well, let's close the door. And she said, um, you know, in these meetings where we're presenting information to you, and there's a lot of technical engineering and science and stuff like that. She said, you frequently fall asleep. And that is really striking the top scientists and engineers, it's, it's, it's upsetting them because they don't know if you're falling asleep because you're not interested or you're really tired or whatever. And I told her, I said, well, I'm very, very interested, but I am tired a lot because in a state of mania, I didn't get that much sleep at night. So I would fall asleep during the day in meetings. And so we talked about it and decided that I should go to bed earlier and get more sleep. But when you're in a state of mania, it's hard to sleep. And so I still couldn't really get much more. Mm. And, uh, and I worked harder on staying awake in the meetings, like, you know, more coffee, mm-hmm. uh, get up, walk around during, during the meeting so I wouldn't doze off. Mm. Um, but, but she did come in and say, tell me that she was concerned. Um, but then as, as things went on, nobody really said anything to me until about 2014, which is when I went over the top, full-blown mania, out of control. And what happened was um, people didn't come talk to me and say, hey, there's something wrong. They basically wrote articles that went in these um, journals that were written by reporters basically saying I was crazy. Mm. And then the other thing they would do is they would write anonymous, like dozens of anonymous reports describing my, you know, bizarre, out of control behavior. They sent those um, letters up to my boss and said, hey, there's something going on with General Martin and and here's what we're seeing. And so that was the basis of my boss's decision to let me go. Um, So so that's what really happened. Okay. When you think back to that time, and I mean, we're talking about a 10, 12-year period of time, so a lot of years, but particularly that time in 2014 when people were sending these anonymous notes and you know explaining your behavior, et cetera, do you recognize that your behavior was erratic and was disruptive? Oh, now I do for sure. But at that time, but at that time, did you? At that time, I just thought they were um, people who were out to get me because we had a big transformation mission that the chairman 
hired me for the job to do. So he wanted to overhaul, transform, streamline, make more um, entrepreneurial, more, you know, more imagination, more creativity in the university to make them more relevant for the types of wars we were in in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I came in to do that job. And my guidance was be aggressive, be tough. Everybody's going to resist you. You know, so don't put up with any, you know, resistance. Just keep forging ahead. Push, push, push. So that's what I did. And that's my natural inclination anyway, Mm -hmm. as an army guy, is be aggressive, push hard, um, you know, move forward. And, um, And so I thought that these people were out to get me. When I started seeing articles appear, you know, and, and, and there was, you know, huge resistance to the changes that the chairman wanted to put in place. Um, so people who wrote those letters, who wrote articles in the paper or the, the magazines, uh, online journals, um, I just saw them as disgruntled, resisting change, you know, opposed to anything. And there was a lot of truth to that Mm -hmm. because they were opposed to change. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to get on board with the chairman's transformation. They did everything they could to slow it down, to, you know, put sand in the gears. And and then when I got, uh, you know, basically fired, and then I got all these evaluations from the medical people saying, I'm fine. I said, see, that's proof. That there's nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. These people were all just out to get me. And it fed my psychosis and my paranoid delusions that people were out to get me, mm-hmm. get me fired, because they did get me fired. Yeah. Um, and then that, you know, they want to see me arrested, put in jail, mm-hmm. murdered. Oh. Now, those were my those were my psychosis, the fall okay. of it. I don't think they cared about getting me arrested or put in jail or murdered, but that's where my, you know, very sick brain mm-hmm. took this. Okay. What did that feel like to feel that people wanted you in jail or murdered? Um, it, it's first off, it was very terrifying. Um, one of the delusions that I had for two years was that, um, that I would be, you know, that they were spying on me. I'd get arrested, convicted, go to jail, and that I would be beaten savagely in jail. And then I'd be stabbed to death and I would die face down in a pool of my own blood, mm. like gurgling as I died. Um, it was terrifying. I, I saw that vision of my own death over and over and over for two years. Mm. Um, and I, it sent me, it, it agitated me. It sent me into anger. It sent me into rage because I thought I knew who the people were and what they were thinking and what they were trying to do, which again, most of that were delusions in my own head. I mean, once I was out the door and was gone from National Defense University, I think they, you know, largely probably most of them forgot about me Mm. because, okay, he's gone. Now we can slow down the transformation. We got a new guy coming in who doesn't understand what's going on. He's not a, he's not as aggressive as Martin was. And so we succeeded. And, and so, um, so I would say I was full of anger and rage about that Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. And I would assume anytime a person is fired or let go from their job and told that you know, behavior is erratic and this isn't working, that 
if somebody told me that, I'd be pretty angry and full of rage as well. So I don't think that that in itself inherently is an unnatural response. But what I hear you saying is that, you know, your illness took the delusions to a much, much deeper, darker place. Exactly. Tell me about how your wife was seeing you at this time, how your interactions were after you were fired and you were having all of these, this really deep, bad psychosis. Right. So, I mean, my wife is terrific. She's, you know, excellent, great trooper, you know, really, I think did a fantastic job uh, being, you know, married to a, a, a general, a soldier for life, and sure. then someone with, you know, serious bipolar disorder. So, um, you know, going back a little bit, my wife and I met when I was in, we were in our early 20s. And I was, again, just like I said earlier, super energetic, you know, driven, lots of fun, life of the party. And, and so, you know, that's part of why she liked me so much was because I was really fun and exciting to be around. And then over the course of years and decades, I sort of crept slowly, inch by inch, up the bipolar spectrum. And so she never, it was, the changes in my behavior were imperceptible. I mean, Mm -hmm. she couldn't see that there was anything wrong, even though I was starting to go higher and higher. Um, Then I, after we came back from Iraq and I really actually did have bipolar disorder, she started seeing events and episodes that were, you know, troubling, concerning, surprising. But, you know, as she says in the book, um, there was no pattern. There was nothing to connect the dots. It would be like I would do something, you know, that was, you know, pretty crazy and bizarre but it was like, okay, you know, I, he, he's a high energy, can, can get out there, but no pattern that would lead one to think mental illness. Hmm. But by the time we got to spring, summer 2014, you know, in the month or two or three leading up to being, being fired, she then started seeing that I was really starting to lose it, um, you know, super stressed out. delusional, um, you know, getting very little sleep, um, starting to say and act crazy, you know, missing, you know, important planned family events, Mm. uh, being late to everything, um, giving, you know, being super paranoid that people were out to get me. So at that point, she realized, hey, there's something wrong. But that was about the same time everybody else noticed that there's something really wrong. So she definitely saw a pattern at that point. But again, she didn't know a oh, mental illness, bipolar disorder. She actually thought that it, that um, that the problem is all the stress and pressure of the job sure. and all the people who are resisting the changes I was trying to put in. Um, and so she just thought, hey, the sooner we can get out of Washington, D.C., and Greg can get out of this pressure cooker job away from these people who are, you know, really trying to sabotage what he's trying to do, that once we got away from all that, that I would go back to normal, that I would be fine. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Because she didn't have any awareness that I had bipolar disorder. Sure. And really, neither did anybody else yeah. until November of 2014, four months after I got fired. Um, then I had severe depression and, you know, these, this psychosis. Mm-hmm. And I went back to the same doctors at Walter Reed. And this time, which was really the seventh time I had gone in, mm. uh, this time they were able to connect the dots, put the pieces together of you know pieces of the puzzle and then they diagnosed me properly having bipolar disorder type 1 with psychosis. And you were hospitalized at that time with major depression or no? Uh no. Okay. I probably should have been, but I wasn't hospitalized until about a year later after I had retired from the army and was living in New Hampshire and I went to the VA in uh, in White River Junction, Vermont. And as soon as my 15-minute interview with the head psychiatrist, as soon as he talked to me and he discovered that I had what they call passive suicidal ideations, he said, hey, we need to keep you here and you, you need to spend some time with us. So I spent two weeks in the inpatient um, facility, which was a great experience, a very, very positive about that. Good. And then I spent four more weeks um, living in a dorm in the hospital, undergoing intensive therapy every day. Mm-hmm. So a total of six weeks in the hospital. I am interested to press in more to you saying that that was a great experience. I've talked to many people who've had different experiences in psychiatric hospitals, and I would love to know what made that such a positive, great experience for you. Sure. Um, so first off, the military, other than diagnosing me correctly, didn't really give me good treatment because uh, I just kept getting worse. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't take strong treatment like, you know, inpatient, lithium, things like that. Um, but and then I went to a civilian provider after I retired. And again, you know, lackluster. I didn't really have confidence, didn't get better, kept getting worse. And so then finally uh, decided to try out the VA, which had a really good psych department. And so when I went in, the head psychiatrist, he was brilliant. He, he asked the typical questions. Are you suicidal? No. Uh, do, you, um, do you think about hurting other people? No. And then he said, this is the question that nobody else before or since has ever asked me. Do you have morbid thoughts of death or dying? And I said, yes, all the time. And I, I told him about the, you know, the scenario in the prison. And then there was another big one where this powerful, invisible force would grab me and throw me underneath a speeding 18-wheeler truck. And it would rip my arms and legs and head off. Mm. And I'd see the bloody stumps go flying out to the side. Mm. And he said, okay, those are called passive suicidal ideations. You don't want to kill yourself yet but you want somebody else to kill you or something else to kill you. Mm. And the problem with passive ideations is they can transform into active ideations very quickly. And then you'll develop a plan and you'll, you may, you're at risk for killing yourself. So we said, you need to come in to do inpatient. So I did. Now, what did I love about it? Well, it was a clean, bright, modern facility, um, had my own room, which was nice. Um, I was with other veterans who all, you know, were suffering from some kind of mental illness. And then the thing that I liked best was they had a multidisciplinary team of psychiatrists, psychologists, nurses, pharmacologists, 
chaplain, and they all, I met with them every morning, Monday to Friday, and they would basically give me a back brief on what they saw in me and, you know, what they recommended and what they thought I should do. And then we would have a discussion and then I got to ask them anything I wanted. Wow. So I, I would, you know, I would be thinking ahead of time. I'd have like sure. a, you know, a notebook with all these questions and everything. And so it was fun because I had these seven professionals mm. who were dedicated to helping me. You know, they were there determined to help me get better. Mm. And I could ask them questions. They were totally open. They were, you know, very smart, caring, compassionate people. And I absolutely loved my interaction with them. Mm. And interestingly, the one I liked the best was the chaplain. The chaplain was wonderful, working kind of the emotional, spiritual aspect of recovery. And I think she was the best chaplain I've ever dealt with, even in, you know, 30 years in the army. Sure. And so that's what I liked about it. The other thing the VA did is they said, okay, while you're in inpatient, we're going to look at when you have windows of time and we're going to get take care of your other health dimensions. You know, we'll get you an eye exam, a hearing exam, you know, a heart exam. You know, so I got all these other medical appointments that I hadn't done in a long time. Mm. And so I thought that was really, really helpful. And then when, um, you know, when I was done with the inpatient, you know, the leading, leading up to my time to leave, they said, look, we really have, a, a, we appreciate how hard you've worked to get better in your interest. We, we would really like to offer you the opportunity to stay here in the hospital, not in the locked ward, but just we'll give you a dorm room. And then you can, you know, fill up your day with appointments and with, you know, seeing the chaplain and the therapist and the psychiatrist. So I did that for four straight weeks and they were wonderful. Um, so, I mean, the VA in White River Junction, Vermont, they really did right by me. Mm. I mean, I think they provided excellent treatment and care. Um, they didn't get my medication straight right away. That took another six months where, you know, when I would leave the VA, where I was very high and positive and energetic, when I would go home to our home in New Hampshire, I'd fall back into depression. Mm. And that went on month after month. And my wife finally said, this is terrible. She called my doctor and said, you have to give him something stronger because this is terrible. And so then we decided to go from lithium. And once I started lithium, now remember, I'd been in bipolar hell for two years. Mm -hmm the symptoms vanished within about three or four days. Wow. And I felt like the old Greg Martin, like wow. pre-bipolar. And it was unbelievable, the difference. And so um, so the VA did put me on lithium. So I give them credit for that too. Okay. And your story in terms of, you know, it taking time to get the medication cocktail figured out is not unusual, civilian or military. I, I've heard that so many times, you know, that it's a trial and error process. We try this medicine, see if it works. We try this one. And that's one of the things that I feel like is so difficult and frustrating about mental illness is that, you know, there's no, you can't get an x-ray and say, oh, this is broken. Here's what you need to do. And so it is a lot of trial and error. And as you've pointed out with the seven different professionals, it's a whole team person approach often. This is the first of a two-part series with Major General Greg Martin. My conversation with Major General Martin will continue on episode six 
which will be available Tuesday, February 27th. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share these episodes. And thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.